Hello, everyone. This is Rev Brad, and you're listening to the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from the Touchline. Today, I have a special guest joining me on the pod, Rev Steve Jones. Steve is a longtime friend of mine from my many travels overseas. He is the UK Disability Lead at Sports Chaplaincy UK. He's also a Baptist minister who lives in Neath, Wales, and his story of coming to serve those in disability sport is one that has touched me, and I think it will touch you as well. On Friday, December 3, is the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. And with this in mind, I wanted to interview my friend and colleague across the pond so that we might gain a better perspective for some things and for some people that we may not usually think of, those with disability and specifically those in disability sport. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post, almost made him in, and they have. He has the hat trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. The hat trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner. Goes towards the near post. And you're the angle, and what a goal! What a goal! Well, I want to welcome my good friend, Steve Jones, who is the UK Disability Lead at Sports Chaplaincy UK. Steve, thank you so much for joining me here today on From the Touchline. And Steve, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today about disability sports. So first off, let me just say welcome. Thank you, Brad. It really is great to be with you and great to reconnect with you after a number of years. So yeah, thank you so much for, for the invitation. And, and Steve, you are proficient in uh, not only speaking English, which you speak the Queen's English and speak it well, but you also speak Welsh. Any other languages? Uh, believe it or not, uh, Brad, I, I'm fluent in French. I'm a Welsh learner, actually. I, I speak a little Welsh, but the part of Wales where I live is mainly English speaking. So I can speak Welsh, but I'm actually more fluent in the French language. Wow. So, that's, uh, that's an interesting that's, little snippet. That's brilliant. We may have to come back and do a, a podcast in French, although I speak none. So, <laughs> I always, I always love to have people speak languages that they know that that I don't know, so that some of our friends in football can hear, uh, hear their own tongue, so to speak. So, yeah. Well, Steve, I I want to jump in. Uh, probably most of our listeners won't know you. Um, and, and so I just, would you take a minute to share about yourself, kind of where you're from, your background, um, the role that you currently have, your experience and family, and just some of those other little tidbits for us? Sure. Uh, I, I live in Wales, in, in the United Kingdom. Wales is one of the four nations in the United Kingdom in Western Europe. So we have Wales, England, Northern Ireland, and Scotland. Uh, we're a small nation of three million people. I, I was born in Wales and grew up in Wales. Um, uh, my background sporting-wise is in rugby. I played a lot of rugby at a, at a fairly good level and then had a bad knee injury when I was 18, and so that put paid to my, my playing days. Uh, but I've always retained a, a love and a passion for sport and for, for rugby in particular. Um, in terms of career, I, I started off in law enforcement, but then when I became a Christian believer in my mid-20s, I heard the call of God on my life to, to train for for ministry to lead local churches here in Wales. So I've been a pastor in Baptist churches in Wales for 20 years uh, and always a part of my ministry in, in the localities here has been uh, reaching out to the sports clubs and supporting 
coaches and athletes in local rugby clubs. So, uh, yeah, my my beginning in sport ministry was with um, the Ospreys wheelchair, uh, the Ospreys professional rugby region, which was an able-bodied uh, club, the most successful able-bodied uh, rugby team in our nation. I was with them for a number of years, and uh, it was later that uh, God's Holy Spirit nudged me to to move sideways, if you like, into the the disability version of, of rugby and the support of adaptive athletes, so wheelchair rugby players. Steve, share a little bit about how that nudge happened for you. It happened at, at a major sporting event, actually, Brad. Um, I, I think you know that I had the opportunity to serve as a chaplain at, at the Olympics in London in 2012. And uh, when I was there, I was asked by one of the head chaplains, is there any chance that you could you could possibly come back in a few weeks' time after the Olympics to serve in the Paralympics. They were somewhat short of volunteers for, for Christian chaplains to serve at the Paralympics. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting fact, and I, I felt a little bit nudged by that in the first instance, that uh, the opportunities for chaplaincy at the Olympics, they were oversubscribed with applicants, but for the Paralympics, they were undersubscribed, too few applications. and they needed help. So fortunately, I, I was able, I have a very uh, generous and understanding wife in Sarah, and she said, well, if you can help, go along. So I went along quite nervous, to be honest, Brad. I had no, no involvement up to that point with any form of disability or all ability or adaptive sport. And uh, I, I went along and a, a couple of things happened really that uh, God, Holy Spirit used to give me um, what I might call a kick up the pants. When I was uh, in the in the Paralympic Village in London, I, I I met a wheelchair rugby player that was from my home nation, from Wales. And more than that, uh, and this is where I see the hand of God in this journey, he was from the very town where I live. And I had no idea that, wow. that this wheelchair rugby team even existed. Wow. And here was the uh, one of the top global elite wheelchair rugby players from my town competing on the on the highest stage of wheelchair rugby so I encountered him and I we reached out to each other and we had a meal together and we've become great friends and uh, and then following on from that a couple of days later in the Paralympics I was um, on my lunch break I was on a chaplaincy shift and I was on my lunch break outside the um, the dining area where all the athletes have their meals and uh, as I was sitting there with a cup of coffee and having a sandwich uh, a team of uh, blind Chinese football players came into view. They were being led into the dining area by their sighted coach. Mm. And the first yeah. blind athlete had his hand on the shoulder of the sighted coach. And he was uh, leading this team. It must be about six or seven blind Chinese soccer players. And in that instant, Brad, uh, I had this overwhelming, compelling sense that God was saying to me, you see how those players are being led there? I'm going to lead you into supporting and taking the love and truth of Jesus uh, to people who are differently abled now. You've been supporting able-bodied athletes and coaches. I'm going to guide you in a new direction. And uh, to be honest, Brad, I had to sit down for about at least 30 minutes and try and process that and not lose that moment. And I, I came back to Wales praying about that. Lord, have I heard you on this? And uh, things just became more of a compelling spirit that I, I needed to really wait upon the Lord for further direction in that. And so um, when I discerned that indeed he was calling me in that direction, I, I passed my chaplaincy with the professional rugby team, the able-bodied team, to another church leader. 
uh, and I became the chaplain of uh, the wheelchair rugby team, which I still am. Every every Tuesday morning, it's my joy and my privilege under God's leading to spend three or four hours with the, the players in our in our teams and with their families. And um, and then more latterly, the last few years again, that God's Spirit has given me another quite forcible nudge uh, to to retrain to give some of my time to training to be a, a goalball coach. Now, I don't know if you and your no. listeners will know what goalball is. Goalball is a a sport for blind and visually impaired people. It's a, a sport of three on three. It's it's a bit like a disability version of handball. Okay. Uh, where you have three uh, blind individuals playing against another three blind individuals and they, you have to defend the goals that are nine meters wide. Uh, and everything is done with a ball that is got bells in it. So it's everything's done on hearing. Wow. And um, a couple of years ago, I met some blind young people who were really into this sport. And they were telling me how heartbroken they were that there was no coaches for, for blind, uh, for, for goalball in Wales, that if they, if they wanted to practice this sport, they'd have to move to England. And so um, I prayed about it and I had a sense that I needed to give some of my time to that. And so I, I did the coaching course, got my badges, and uh, now I'm coach of the South Wales goalball team. So, wow. and that, that's been a, you know, a really fascinating journey as well. And God has given many encouragements along the way. So, Steve, just just really quick, you mentioned three different types of uh, sport. Uh, if I heard you correctly, you you mentioned well. First, we have able-bodied. So. You know, I'm I'm the volunteer chaplain for the Colorado Rapids. That would be considered an able-bodied football team or soccer team. But then you used um, disability, all ability, and adaptive sport. So are those? Have, have I got that right? There's those three categories there. Yeah, they they're pretty much interchangeable, to be honest, Brad. But uh, there are global variations. It's, it's sometimes a little bit of a minefield to navigate the, the terminology. That certain regions of the world prefer certain terminology, and uh, and when I say certain regions prefer, it's the disabled athletes themselves. So, for let me give you an example. Um, I've been in some parts of the world where, if you use the term di- disability athlete or dis- disability sport. Uh, let's say a blind soccer player or a wheelchair rugby player may object and say, no, 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 I'm not a, I'm not a disability athlete. I'm an adaptive athlete. Mm. Whereas if I use the term here in Wales, adaptive athlete, uh, our Paralympians, they say, no, 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 we are, we are disability athletes. It's, it's almost as if the history of, of um, disability sport in a country leads to the adoption of a certain term that is almost constitutive of their identity. So there's different words used globally. I think in the States, your preferred term is adaptive sport. Uh, In the UK, it's disability sport. Uh, The term all ability sport was was coined back in 2013 by the global Christian sports movement in an attempt to try and capture uh, a term, a new term that might be adopted globally to try and incorporate all those different terminological uses. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry if it's if it's a little bit confusing, but um, uh, wherever possible, I, I try to be gracious and use the preferred term of my audience. But uh, so probably if if your podcast is going out in the states, I'll from this point on use the term adaptive sport. I think. Yeah, I I think that's helpful. Well, ourselves, the Rapids, we have uh, what's called an all ability team. Yeah. 
and it's made up of um, just different individuals that have different, uh, it could be um, a physical uh, disability, it could be something that has more to do with, uh, you know, I look at, at, at some of the young, young people that are part of this team and they look normal to me, they look like physically there's nothing wrong. But there may be something else that that is going on that isn't uh, so y- your eye wouldn't be so keen to catch. So, so yeah. I'm a little curious to to talk a little bit about all ability, and we may get into some of that uh, a little bit later. But I, I'm curious, when did um, disability sport or adaptive sport? When did this sort of rise to? I'd say its current prominence. And that, you know, it, it's interesting to hear. You know, sort of the the desire to be uh, involved with the Olympics and yet um, the Paralympics, maybe there's not as much, well, certainly there's not as much uh, coverage. There's not as much um, awareness, but, but it has grown over time. Well, and could you kind of give us a sense of that history? When, when did things kind of grow and, and get to the point where they are now? Yeah, it's a, it's a really fascinating question actually, Brad, because um you know, in, in terms of numbers, it, it depends uh, really on the type of disability or adaptive sport. So uh, globally, Special Olympics, you know, um, sports, recreational sport for people with additional learning needs or intellectual disability, uh, intellectual disability needs is massive. It's absolutely gigantic across the world, far bigger than many professional able-bodied sports. So Special Olympics, you know, an initiative that goes back many, many decades, well established, but it's it's not on our screens very often. It's it has doesn't have that profile, but it's been around for a long time, and it's got a very big global footprint. You will have Special Olympics Wales, special. You'll have a Special Olympics Colorado where you are. You'll have a Special Olympics Romania, Special Olympics Vietnam. It's got a massive global um, footprint, but it doesn't have that global um, exposure on on the media. Um, in terms of what most people conceive of as adaptive sport, it's the Paralympics. Now, they date to a little bit more recent times, just after the war, when um, a German gentleman, Ludwig Gutmann, he was keen to produce a form of more competitive sport, competitive sport that um, would help the rehabilitation of injured servicemen. So it's really out of the Stoke Mandeville Rehabilitation Games in, in London after the war that serious competitive adaptive um, sport in the realm of physical disabilities began Uh, and then that then morphed into uh, the embryonic Paralympic movement which I would say in in the 50s and 60s gained some momentum but really around the time of um, the Atlanta Paralympics in Georgia and the Seoul Paralympics that's when it, it came more on people's radar uh, and more people got interested. Uh, people began to see Paralympic adaptive sport for physically different athletes on their TV screens for the first time, I would say, in the 70s, 80s. Still quite limited exposure, but there has been a sea change in exposure since London 2012. The, the London 2012 Paralympics took it to another level. For the first time in 2012, you had national TV broadcasters broadcasting live Paralympic sport for the first time ever, wow. um, which in some way then began, still doesn't uh, equate the same level of 
coverage as Olympics, uh, but it began to approximate that, you know. Steve, if you were just to give uh, slightly here, maybe your opinion, but what what would help disability or adaptive or Paralympic sport achieve uh, a, a greater prominence? I, I As you were speaking, I was just thinking, uh, of course, there's accommodations likely for the different sport, but why not have them occurring simultaneously so that you you would kind of capture a a more robust audience i imagine logistically that would be um very very difficult but in your mind and and as you've interacted with um these athletes uh maybe maybe it's not even a desire for them to have uh global recognition or or coverage but but what would that be would would it be something like that to see uh, just as much uh, attention as as an Olympics games. I think it's very insightful, uh, Brad. What you're identifying there and what you're asking, and um, it, I'm, I'm grateful and thankful to the Paralympic movement for you know highlighting uh, adaptive sport. And but but one of my um, concerns, one of my bugbears, is that there is this non-integrative model. So that you have the Olympics tournament that stands alone for a fortnight then there's a 10-day gap between the Paralympics and it's it's completely separate. Now that's a sort of separate non-integration model which I think has got some value but but it's limited. Now I much prefer the Commonwealth Games model. The Commonwealth Games is another major um, sporting event. Granted it only involves the nations of the former British Commonwealth but it's a massive global tournament. Now, in, in that tournament, there is no separation. You have, let's say, a team from Wales, a team from one of the former British colonies, let's say South Africa or Malaysia. And in that national squad, you will have both um, able-bodied athletes and differently abled athletes, adaptive athletes in the same squad. Wow. And I've had the occasion to serve at um, a couple of Commonwealth Games as a chaplain, and there's a different dynamic altogether, Brad. You have um, you have colleagues in the same national team uh, who perhaps for the first time meet someone who's very different from them. Sometimes they have to room together. So you might have a, a sighted track and field athlete for the first time uh, being roomed with, let's say, um, a goalball player with no sight. Mm. And it, it just breaks down barriers. It's, it's something that I believe that the Holy Spirit uses to what, what the theologians call gentle our hearts. It gentles our hearts when we when we encounter the other. We encounter somebody who's different from us, differently abled. And, and I have seen um, able-bodied athletes whose sporting prowess is phenomenal, but whose, um, how should we say, their attitude, their, some of their prejudices have been terrible. How they've been gentled and made more rounded people through encounter with differently abled, adaptive athletes from their own country. So um, for me, that's one of the key ways of, of pointing up the, the equal validity of, of adaptive sport is by integrating it into our um, national squads and going down the integrative model. Of course, that will never mean competing against each other because it has to be on a, a level playing field. And um, research is showing now, you may well have read this in the paper, that Let's take the example of uh, an amputee long jumper who uses a prosthetic blade. He, he arguably gains an advantage over um, a person with both, both natural legs. 
because the, the force and the propulsive force of the the um, the prosthetic leg, the the blade, sometimes gives him an unfair advantage. Mm. So it would never be the case that we'd have you know people with a range of disabilities competing against those who who don't have those limitations. But to have them in the same squad for the social dynamic, for, to be eating together, to be in the team meetings together, to be in the athlete village celebrations together. For me, Brad, as a Christian chaplain, that model is more representative of the values of the kingdom of God than a separatist model that says we are, we are so different, we should not meet. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I, I can affirm that in just as I watch, so, so what are able-bodied team does is they have a number of of players professional players that coach or are on the sidelines for for the all ability team yeah. and i see the way you use the word it 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 uh gentles right it 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 softens is is the word that i would use it it softens their hearts about what's important it softens their heart toward uh, towards others, and and I I agree. I I see what a what a beautiful thing happening relationally when we are with people that are not like us. And and I think um, uh, th- this must be something that that God um, uh, touches the heart of God is is when we can become a- awake and aware towards these other things. So one of the, one of the things I used to do in my role with the professional rugby team occasionally, Bradby. The head coach might come to me as chaplain and, and he'd say, uh, Rev Steve, I've got these two players there. Uh, their attitude is bad. Their attitude stinks. And we've tried all things with them. We we can't seem to get through to them. They, they're prima donnas. They need to be softened in some way. Can you do something? So I would say, well, you know, give me them one at a time. Give me one day and I'll allocate them to spend a day with one of our wheelchair rugby players and to see the challenges they have to overcome just to you know, just to get to a, a training practice. And um, the number of times, Brad, you know, the coach would come to me subsequently and say, God, w- what have you done? Hmm. Something's happened to them. They, they, they've been transformed. Their attitude yeah. has been uh, improved greatly. And, you know, it's not me. I really believe it's God's God's spirit uh, touching people through, as I said, the encounter with the other. You know, so much of what we do is um, we almost sort of self-select, don't we, whether it's, uh, our friends, or even church congregations, I'm afraid to say, Brad, you know, if we're going into the realm of church and accessibility and welcoming, sometimes our churches are not as diverse as perhaps the kingdom of God really is. And uh, I read a great book recently, and he was talking about sometimes how churches can self-select, so it's only the same type of people there. Uh, and sometimes encounter encounter the other. When I, I take a blind athlete to church, sometimes it's quite challenging to the church folk who've been there for many years. They don't quite know how to right. help right. a blind person worship Jesus. Now, yeah. One of my great friends is a blind athlete, and he's a strong follower of Jesus. And Sometimes it's tough. You go into a church, and uh, he finds it hard to be to engage when everything's on the screen, and there's, you know, there's no Braille copies of the songs. There's no audio description on the videos. So it's a, it's a journey we're on, but it's a journey that... Uh, you know, the Holy Lord would have us follow, I believe. Yeah, interesting. You you speak to some of those things. There's recently I was at some older churches in our denomination, and I was just thinking, how does one in a wheelchair or with crutches even get around in this kind of environment? But I I hadn't thought to think about 
blindness or, or you know, deafness. We, we've had some deaf interpreters that would work in the church before, um, but our we're, we're not really set up for these things, and, and it's a good a good challenge and growth point for us. Well, I, I'm curious with that in mind, Steve, you, you, you came into a, a ministry amongst a disabled sport. And I'm just curious, how does one grow to serve and understand people that, um, that are, you know, really elite athletes but maybe they're confined to a wheelchair. Maybe they are restricted in some other way. How was that for you? Just learning some of those different edges. Like I've just thought through some of the challenges that I might face and some of the questions I might have. Um, How did you find those things to, to learn, to be sensitive, to, to not be um, looking down or demeaning in any way either, but, but to, what were some of the growth edges for you in, in, kind of switching the chaplaincy from able-bodied into this this new vision. Well, I, had quite, I was quite nervous, to be honest, at the start, Brad. I was quite apprehensive. I, I you know, didn't know anybody really uh, in my existing circle of friends at that time who you know, had a disability. I didn't know any, any blind people. or I, I met this one wheelchair rugby player, and I, I was quite nervous. Uh, so I, I tried to prepare myself as, as best I could, you know, if – if we're preparing for any new work, we try and upskill ourselves, don't we? So I, I, I did, you know, before I fully plugged in, I, I, I did some um, inclusive training with the, the local authority, provided some training for, you know, working with people who are differently abled. And there were some helpful free courses out there for, on things like um, uh, wheelchair etiquette, things not to say to somebody in a wheelchair, things not to do, for example, um, you know, a, a wheelchair is an athlete. It's part of their personal space. So, so don't lean on someone's wheelchair. Uh, you know, if you're speaking to somebody in a wheelchair for, for say, longer than five minutes, uh, consider, you know, kneeling down, getting down to their level. Otherwise, you're going to be giving them a, a quick neck as, they, as they're looking up all the time. There were some very practical, just little tips that were out there and people very skilled in delivering uh, that type of training to people who are quite apprehensive like myself and, that, that gave me confidence, that empowered me. But nonetheless, I was still quite, you know, nervous when I went along. But for me as a Christian, I, I, I prayed for, you know, for God's wisdom. I prayed for sensitivity and love. And uh, I remember going along to the, the first session with the wheelchair rugby team. And, and David, this player, introduced me to the coach and the players. And the coach himself was a retired uh, British Paralympian, played at an elite level in the Atlanta Paralympics. And um, he was great, you know. He, he just said, right, first, he said, lovely to have you with us, Steve. You know, first thing to do, you're going to get in a wheelchair. Hmm. It's like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> wow. And he put he put me in, in one of the specialist playing chairs. You'll understand, Brad, you know, wheelchair rugby is a full contact sport. So these are serious piece of kit. You know, it, it cost about anything between three and five thousand pounds, which I mean, you can do the conversion in, in the dollars for me. Yeah. Um, it's reinforced steel. It's not an ordinary day chair that a, a wheelchair user would use around, you know, around the home. So I, I got into this serious piece of kit and he gave me some lessons. But I, I'm, and what I learned was just being amongst them. You know, that, that word that we use is sort of incarnational, being, being amongst people and, and not being aloof, just being willing to get involved and get your hands dirty. You know, on my first session, I was in a, in a wheelchair 
playing alongside with guys. They were smashing into me, and I, I just entered into it. Uh, and because, because I think they just saw somebody who was interested in, in them and in their sport, they very, very quickly uh, opened up the doors and received me and uh, let me in on their sometimes very black humour. They use a lot of black humour, particularly the... Um, the ex-military guys, you know, who lost limbs in active service, they have a particular type of humour. And uh, I kind of thought once they let me in on the the, the black humour that perhaps they saw me as part of the support structure at the, at the club. And uh, I have to say, Brad, every volunteer that I've introduced to different many clubs now, many disability clubs, have had the same experience. Mm. There's this sense of uh, a warm welcome afforded to those who show interest in their sport. And, so, so yeah, I, I think that was a curiosity for me. There's not a <clears throat> sort of revulsion or a, a, a put like you're an outsider coming in here. There's not sort of that, that protective attitude that there's more like a welcome. Yeah, I, I found that. Uh, I placed a lot of volunteer chaplains, Brad, and, and I find there is quite a marked difference between the, the reception given to our chaplains in all ability teams than in able-bodied teams. Uh, now, I can't quite explain why that is. There's no difference of approach. We we prayerfully prepare our volunteers for service in all sorts of clubs. And yet, um, it's probably something to do, I think, with the, the, the lack of support and the lack of attention over many years that all ability clubs have had. Suddenly, when somebody comes along with an interest, you know, th there is a... There's a warmth. There's a there's a thankfulness. Um, yeah, it's just, it's only been encouraging, really. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious, Steve, if uh, you know for for you and for your volunteer chaplains, are there are there any sort of controversies? And and I guess I wonder, you know, what about the person who has has been had a a disability from birth versus one who comes into disability later in life. <clears throat> you mentioned some soldiers that maybe had lost limbs. Um, do they see each other differently in that way? Uh, or, or are there any other struggles amongst these teams that kind of coalesce? Like, I just have to imagine in our all ability soccer team that not not everybody's on the same level and and i don't understand myself if i'm honest how the teams are usually are put together but are there any struggles that happen internally that way yeah it, it's one of the things that i i found quite difficult for a while within the world of disability sport i, I was quite surprised if not shocked sometimes brad early on to discover that on the part of uh, some disabled athletes, there was an element of prejudice on their part against people who were disabled in a different way. Mm. Now, it was a very experienced disability coach took me aside one time and he said, I, I can see you're struggling with, with this. And, and he was so helpful. And, and there is a sense in which sometimes elite Paralympians, um, they, they almost take to themselves the description that the media gives them. In, in the UK, our Paralympians are, are given this title of sort of superhumans. So all the advertising is around this banner of our British Paralympians are superhumans. And it's quite shocking when you hear uh, a Paralympian denigrating, let's say, a Special Olympian. Mm. Uh, a, um, 
a, a young person with an intellectual disability, you know, because it's a different category of disability, uh, it's quite shocking to hear denigrating remarks from, a, from another disabled athlete on account of just having a different disability. So I think that's just part of the, uh, the, the brokenness of the world that we, that we live in, quite frankly. It can be a little bit shocking. Uh, and uh, yeah, sometimes there's a, a, a rivalry, shall we say, a little bit of animosity on times between, um, let, let's say, um, blind sport athletes against, uh, as opposed to wheelchair sports athletes. It's, mm. it's, it's, sometimes it's just banter. But sure. other times, you know, we don't people the people with disabilities are human like you and I, Brad. And sometimes the, the sort of darker side of ourselves, the the subconscious prejudices that we have, it comes to the surface in them as well. Mm. It, it doesn't make them suddenly holy. Uh, so they have their battles with prejudice, and it sometimes it comes out in ways that are quite surprising. And yeah, I struggled with that for a while, but I, I think I've come to accept that's just a a plight of our sort of common humanity really we all have these um blind spots shall we say uh, pardon the pun um we all have these things that we sometimes can't see about ourselves until somebody else helps us to see them um in terms of you mentioned about the differences between those who are um congenitally disabled uh, having a disability from birth as opposed to those who acquire a disability one of the things we're very keen on in sports chaplains in UK is to prepare our chaplains for the types of dialogue they will have. Uh, and so when we come to placing chaplains with clubs and many wheelchair rugby clubs have a lot of ex-service people who've acquired disabilities and, and their presenting questions are always around the question of suffering, Brad. So um, mm, maybe, maybe with them, um, with people who are, have a disability from birth, the questions are more around um, uh, questions of creation and, you know, was, was it God's will that I was made this way? And what does the Bible say about uh, being fearfully and wonderfully made? You know, is God sovereign over my creation or am I a mistake? Whereas for those who've acquired a disability, who've lived some part of their life able-bodied and then had a life-changing accident, the questions are more of a I don't know what the theologians call theodicy questions. Sure. Why would God allow, why would a loving God allow that to happen to me later in life? So in my journeying with athletes and my preparation of chaplains to journey with athletes, I say you need to know their story. You need to winsomely just do life with them and get to know, you know the nature of their disability uh, and make sure that you are listening deeply for their real questions which are sometimes quite different from the presenting questions right well and, and these are truths for for anyone who's involved in in chaplaincy is listening to a story first and not making assumptions or or believing something to be true just just because of the place where someone's at so Absolutely. wow steve that's that's really brilliant well you you've kind of answered my next question. You know our our good friend uh, Mark Fleming, who does um, Scottish chaplaincy. He uh, his his book recently came out, and he talks about getting on the pitch with some of the players and and uh, taking a few knocks in training and uh, taking a few jokes in training, actually more so. But it sounds like uh, you've had an opportunity to to get into one of the the wheelchairs and to 
uh, at least have a go and 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 play and uh, be part of that. Uh, would you say that that would be true amongst other disability sport where there's opportunities to enter into that space somehow where you, uh, if you're able-bodied and serving as a chaplain or or you're just participating, that that you um, you could do that in another sense with someone? For sure, Brian. And let me take it into the realm of soccer because I know you're a soccer man yourself and yeah. your audience is soccer. I, I had occasion to volunteer with some colleagues at the, um, the European Blind Soccer Championships. And our, our preparation for that, our training with the organizing committee involved us being blindfolded wow. and exp- experiencing what it's like you know, to be on the pitch with a complete um, blackout um, blindfold and to hear the sound ball. Mm. So even though, you know, during the tournament, you know, we were, we were helping out um, running the line and, uh, you know, retrieving the balls and, and over and above our spiritual duties, you know, in the, in the chapel times and such like. But, yeah, I, I think involvement does necessarily in, include that sense that you'll be, you be willing to have a go. And the organizers and the trainers I have found fully involved us in that. And I found that so, so helpful, you know beginning to understand the world of a, of a visually impaired soccer player would be impossible if you'd not experienced it. Mm. Uh, and, you know, uh, whenever I deliver taster sessions now of, of blind soccer in, in, in Wales and the UK, we always, always take a, a good number of blindfolds and we involve our sighted volunteers where we need to have a go. Yeah. And, and one of the things I love about goalball, the other disability sport, the one that I coach, is that this is a tremendously inclusive sport. And, you know, you have a great national goalball team in the USA. Mm. Uh, the thing about goalball is uh, it's only at the elite international level, Brad, that uh, blind people can only play. Below that level, it's fully inclusive. You and I, you know, with, with sight, we can be part of it. We can play. We have to be blindfolded. Everyone's blindfolded. But up until up until that echelon of the highest elitist le- level, anybody can play. So in our goalball club, it's it's wonderful. We wow. have um, we have a, a team. We have many teams, and and it's a mixture of sighted and visually impaired individuals. And it's just wonderfully, wonderfully inclusive. Um, and I'll tell you a, a lovely story as well. But coming back to wheelchair rugby for a moment, when. Um, when our wheelchair rugby club first began to grow, we just had an adult team. And uh, what happened was uh, that in our communities, children then with physical disabilities, they heard about wheelchair rugby and said, well, is there a team for us? So we set up a team for under 16s. And the first three or four players we had were, were children with physical disabilities. Mm. And you know what, what was wonderful, Brad? That, um, I, I helped this this wheelchair rugby team become part of a uh, the branding of the professional team, part of the Ospreys franchise. Uh, and because now we have a very distinctive logo, the Ospreys logo, the Ospreys wheelchair rugby team was being promoted in the press. Suddenly, there was this groundswell of interest from young people to play wheelchair rugby. But here's the thing, Brad, 50% of them were able-bodied. Mm. So I, I began to ask myself, Lord, what's what's going on here? We have kids who can walk wanting to play wheelchair rugby. Mm, And it was, it was so affirming for the, for the kids that had disabilities to be able to show their sport, to teach their sport 
to their able-bodied friends is just, oh, for me, it's, that speaks of the kingdom of God. Yeah. Something, something of the justice and the uh, goodness of God is happening there. Yeah, something that's shared, something that's shared. Well, Steve, thank you so much. This coming Friday, uh, 3 December, is International Day of Persons with Disabilities. And I'm just wondering, you've already shared with us a little bit, um, but what are some things that are happening? What are some things that are growing? And what are some ways that people like myself can educate ourselves on disability and, and specifically disability sport? Yeah, every year there is this this global campaign, Brian, you've, you've rightly highlighted it. It's called the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. And every year it has a theme to try and focus on a, on a certain part. And uh, the theme for this year is called this. It says, not all disabilities are visible. Mm. Uh, and so it's it's pointing up, really, I, I think, the, the, the arguably overlooked area of intellectual disability and intellectual disability sport. Uh, and so, for example, on the 3rd of December uh, this year, for us in, in our club, in our wheelchair rugby club, we are highlighting the opportunity for, for people with um, intellectual disabilities to be involved, whether it's, um, you know, cerebral palsy or autism. We have a lot of people on the autism scale, which, you know, doesn't um, manifest itself visibly on the surface, but uh, affects the, the cognitive capacities of the mind. Uh, we, we also are aware of a number, again, of ex-servicemen who struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder, which, mm. you know, you, you would never detect that by looking at somebody on, on, the, on their appearance. Sure. But we want to be able to reach out and say, you know, very positively, not all di- disabilities are visible. And, and if you have a, a disability of, of the mind that uh, does affect you and, and you need uh, some company, you need some friendship, you need some camaraderie, Here's a club that's very, very welcoming to you. Uh, and so I encourage your, your listeners of the podcast, you know, perhaps just check out what's happening in your locality on that, on that day, International Day of Persons with Disabilities. See if perhaps a, a local uh, adaptive sports club in your state, you know, may have something on that day. You might go along and just perhaps observe yeah. and, and see how that touches you or, or they may, there may be some appeals for help. You know, as they are reaching out to intellectually disabled individuals, could be the Special Olympics Colorado. They may be having a, you know, a special uh, multi-sport tournament, may need some volunteers. And just uh, go along, allow yourself to be touched by what you see. And, um, yeah, you know, see where the spirit of God leads you really in that. Mm. Well, Steve, brilliant as always. And thank you for taking the time to uh, come and share with us and, and, and just to point us to something that I think we, we, we sometimes put people with disability on the margins, on the fringes, and we don't, we don't see them. And God calls us to see them much, much like, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking of the story of the, the Good Samaritan who, who comes across someone uh, in the road that's, that's been wounded and disabled and, and, uh, and yet sees, sees that person struggling and moves to, uh, to attend to that need. And thank you for being someone to to help us uh to point point out these things to us i i wonder steve would you would you close us with a a blessing um and i'd love for you to do it in welsh or french or whatever language you prefer it would be my great great pleasure to do it in in the welsh language for you and for your listeners brad for sure thanks steve let let me say uh, brad pob bendit pob grass pob chariad and 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 and
every grace, every love in the Lord Jesus Christ to you. Amen. 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 Well, this is Rev. Steve and Rev. Brad coming to you from the Touchline.